0: 1 Kings chapter 13, it's a strange story. We're going we're gonna to read this story, but uh, I'm going to stop you in certain parts because you are going to chase a rabbit as you read this. You're, you're, it's so full of these interesting, strange details that you, wanna, you wonder about that your mind will start wandering, and I'm going to pull you back because it's so easy to get distracted by this, okay? So we, we, we read this last time, the first part, So we're going to read it again because you've got to put it in context. This story doesn't have its full meaning until you put it in the story of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam has been promised by God, you're going to be a king, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to bless you richly if you just do what I tell you. And right away he doesn't. All right, so join me, 1 Kings chapter 13, beginning verse 1. Behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. So, uh, pause here. God had spoken to him and given him a message. We don't know yet what that message was, and we're only going to get it secondarily. So we don't see God making contact with this guy. He's not even named. Okay. and. Um, and he said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, actually names him, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones will be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day saying, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God and he cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. Isn't that a cool picture right there? You see that? That's an actual photo from the event. And this is, you see his hand just kind of swim. Okay. I just think that's a cool picture. Okay. The altar also was torn down. The ashes poured out on the altar. This is some mysterious thing. I don't know how it happened, but it did. According to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him. Grace from God. And became as it was before. And then the king said, Let's go out and eat. Right? Come home with me. Refresh yourself. I'm going to give you a reward. So from threat, maybe even of his life, he then turns around and says, come home and let's fellowship, right? This is when we find out what the mission was. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I won't go with you. I will not eat eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, here's the words God gave him, you shall neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came. So the way he came to Bethel from Judah, where he was from, he went a different route on the way home, because that's what God told him. I love this scene. I like this man of God. He's an interesting figure, never named. We have no, no, nothing to know about him. But he handled this challenge really well. He did exactly what God told him to and followed the instructions. And even when the king offered him something that would detour him from God's instruction, he immediately spit God's words back out at him. This is a great tactic. Jesus did this in the garden, didn't he? It is said, I'm just going to quote God's script. I'm going to give you, I'm going to spit back out these words. And this, I, I can't say this strongly enough, I encourage memorization of Scripture more and more. We're going to have a resident ministry minister come on in June, and one of his things is going to be you're going to be memorizing some Scripture. This year, this year, Valley View Church Camp, I don't know if you'll do it or not, but you're going to really be urged to memorize Scripture because here's the deal. The most powerful way to do battle out there is to use the sword of God and lash at it, right? Lash it out against all the threats that are out there. So he had the words of God, and he just kind of, don't leave them on your coffee table bound nicely in the leather thing. Carry him with you like a pocket knife. It shouldn't just be a sword of the spirit; it should be the pocket knife, or maybe even the eye teeth. It should be in your mouth. You should be able to spew it. Right? That's how we do this. And this guy, you know, Meatloaf had a song. The great theologian had a song. Two out of three ain't bad. Well, that's not, that's not good enough when it comes to faithfulness, but here's the first challenge to the instructions of the man of God is when the king says, come home with me and I'm going to reward you and we're going to eat together, and he says, absolutely not. These are the words that I'm going to honor, and I'm going to honor them. So, so far, so good. I wish, I wish we would get better at this. A temptation comes at us, and we just use the words of God to defend ourselves. That's not how the story ends, though. Now, an old prophet lived in Bethel. Apparently, he's an old, faithful prophet. I don't know. That's all we know he's an old prophet. His sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words they had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? This sounds like those old cartoons. Who said that? Which way did he go? Which way did he go? So which way? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. He found him sitting there. Now I want to... I want to say, what's wrong with you, man? Complete the job and be done with it, right? But no, he takes a rest on his way back home. He hasn't done anything wrong, but it just feels funny. And when he said to him, he said, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me, and here he goes again, spewing the words of God. That's always a good way to defend off temptation. By the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. Yes! Two for two. He's two for two. He did. He's doing exactly what God told him to. Quoting scripture along the way. But the old prophet said to him, I also am a prophet just like you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Saying, "Bring him back with you into your house; you may eat bread and drink water." But he lied to him, and the pro- the man of God went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Two out of three ain't good enough. Meatloaf was wrong. I hate to say meatloaf was wrong. It just sounds wrong, right? Meatloaf was wrong. My question is this. Why did this old prophet do that? What was in it for him? You'll read the rest of the story and never get an answer. Why would an old prophet go and cause a young prophet to stumble like this? As they sat at the table. He did. He went in the man's house, sat at the table. The word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Suddenly this old prophet who was a false prophet now becomes a true prophet because God does use him to speak and he opens his mouth and he says to this other man of God thus says the Lord because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you eat no bread and drink no water your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers you will not have an honorable burial and after he had eaten bread and drunk he continued eating That really puts a damper on the meal, doesn't it? Wouldn't that just totally ruin your supper? You get a word from God saying, you're doomed, you've just disobeyed me, and I think I would stop eating, and I would kind of go lament and repent and whatever. But instead, he just keeps eating, keeps drinking, saddles his donkey. As he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and his donkey stood there by his body, And the lion stood on the other side of his body, and they just stood there. Men passed by, saw the body thrown down in the road, the lion standing here, and the donkey standing there, and neither one, the lion doesn't harm the body, doesn't harm the donkey. They just stand there. That is a weird sight, right? That is very strange. The prophet hears about it. The prophet goes, gets the man of God and buries him in his own grave and says to his sons, When I die, bury my bones with this prophet. What in the world does this story mean? I don't know that I know the answer to that, but we're going to apply it anyway. Number one, know the words of God. Repeat them. Say them over and over again. When you're trying to decide what to do, go to those words. When you're trying to decide what to say, how to answer a question, how to give a suggestion, use those words. When you're evaluating things, determining whether they're good for you or not, evaluate on those words. Understand what's true. Now this reminds me of a New Testament passage, and here it goes. I want you to notice the progression of this passage. I hope. Colossians Let the word of Christ, hey, back up one. Did I miss something? Yeah, yeah. Store them in your heart. Like Psalm 119, 11 says this. I've hidden your word in my heart, or I've stored your word in my heart, that I might not sin. So if you don't want to sin, what should you do? Put the words in your heart. It's not good enough to know there's a passage here somewhere. Let me look it up. You kind of need it on a fly. You need it when the moment comes, and you, and you want to say them. Okay, next screen. Now, here's, here's the progression. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And one of the ways we do this is we sing to one another. All wisdom, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts of God. But whatever it is, put the Word of God in there. Put the Word of Christ right here in your heart, and then verse 17 can come true. 17 depends on 16. When you put the words of God in your heart, when they dwell within you, then whatever you do, word or deed, anything done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving the, uh, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can do things in the name of Jesus if you have the words of Jesus dwelling in you. But you can't otherwise. There is a direct correlation. And this guy, two out of three was pretty good. But the last one cost him his life. Know the words of God. I know we've said it a hundred times over the years. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is the offensive weapon we have. And yet I'm finding it crazy weird how less biblically literate we we are now than we used to be. Why is that? Know the words of God. Now here's the second thing. Know them so well that you recognize words that are not from God. So if you hear words or suggestions or things from people that are not in alignment with the Word of God, you can know this. Here's why it's in the context of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, we are told, sought the advice of people and immediately after he sought their advice, put up two golden calves in northern tribes of Israel. After God made promises, if you just do things my way, don't worship other gods, just do things my way, I'll make sure you have a legacy and a dynasty and all the great success you can imagine. And what does he do? He consults with a bunch of people and sets up two golden calves. Immediately, he listened to the wrong people. This prophet listened to the wrong people. And what happens when you do that? You get eaten by lions. That's the moral of the story. By the way, this is also a parable. I'm not saying it's not a true story. It's a true story, and it's a parable of the nation of Israel. God says, please listen to me, and they decide to listen to all the other nations, and they're out of existence in a few years. It's all because of the same thing. Now, here is the strangest, and this should be, as New Testament people, something that comes to your mind from the story that beckons you into the New Testament. I want you to look at 1 Kings 13, verses 18 and 19 with me. I also am a prophet as you are. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. I'm a prophet too. And an angel told me God said this. Now listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 1. And I wonder where he gets this from. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. How serious is this? As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Where did he get the idea of an angel told me this? Was he thinking of this story? Was he thinking of this story? I'm wondering about that. Somebody wants to come to you and say to you, this sounds so spiritual and, this really, and I really want to help you and this sounds like truth that you should claim for your life. Make it sound so spiritual and stuff. If it's not the words of God, don't listen to it. Two out of three ain't good enough. Now, let me get a little bit specific here. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You know what the priesthood of all believers means? You have direct access to God. You don't need to go through me as a priest or even your elders. You can go to God on your own. Is that true? You know when that happened? The curtain of the temple was torn too from top to bottom crucifixion is when that happened you don't need anybody to mediate for you except Jesus and he's in heaven doing that you can go to him on your own terms men and women black and white slave or free but that does not mean everybody's opinion is the same that does not mean everybody handles the truth effectively That's the danger that this opens up, that you say, well, because I'm a priest, I I don't need to rely on anybody, I can decide my own way. Really, can you? Because there's an awful lot of people that don't have a lot of experience with the truth. Now, here's another one. This is one I taught, we had to say to our kids a lot of times growing up, just because there's a precedent for a belief or an action at church doesn't mean it's the right belief or action. So, back when our kids were growing up, I hate bringing this topic up, but I will anyway because most of the people, would have, well, anyway. So, Abby would be trying on clothes, right? Modest clothes, and we do all sorts of things. We used to do this, now she does it herself, and that's what we were hoping for. But I, I would say, try that on. And you see, here's the thing I'm a guy. I know that's not news to you, but I'm a guy, right? And so I think like guys. And even I know how other guys think. So I know better than she does. I know better than Melissa does. She can't possibly figure out what I think any more than I can ever possibly figure out what Melissa's thinking either, right? There's just, we are different creatures. And we are, men are so visually, I mean, it's it's crazy, right? And I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't think our girls know one ounce of anything what's going through the mind of that guy. I don't think they know, right? And so as a dad, it's my job to train her how we think. And so she would try on something, is it long enough? And then I'd say, now sit down in a chair because you know what? These shorts ride up when you sit down. Does anybody notice that? When you sit down, it rides up and and all this stuff. And so we did all that stuff, we did all that stuff. But invariably, another really good person at church would go ahead and dress way more immodestly. And there was a precedent at church for wearing that stuff. And an argument could be made. She could say to me, but there's somebody else at church that does that. But I'm going to tell you something. Unfortunately, a precedent at church doesn't mean it's right. You know that whole everybody else is doing it thing? That's not just out in the world. There's an awful lot of people at church doing things that probably aren't the best example for you. So just because you can find an example at church doesn't mean it's the right example. And that's what this guy does. He's got this guy, he's a prophet, y'all. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's somebody who's spoken to, and I guess he's faithful. I don't know. But you would think, right? You would think I could trust a prophet. I'm even going to tell you another thing. Don't even trust the preacher until you run it through Scripture. Don't even trust him. That's an awkward thing for me to say. But that's what this story's telling me. And it gets a little stronger in the story. There's one other comparison in the New Testament I want to show you. First Kings chapter 13, 8, 9, the message from God is, um, here's what God told me, he says, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. I don't want you fellowshipping at all while you're there. I want you to walk in one way. I want you to do your message. I don't want you eating with anybody, and I want you to go out another way what's the deal with eating bread and drinking water? We need it to survive. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Now, that was misunderstood, right? And I can see why he would say that. If you don't eat with sinful people, you could never fellowship the world. But he says, not meaning the sexually immoral of this world. I want you eating with all those strange acting people, the people who don't act like we do at church because they're worldly people. I want you eating with them. Go out there and eat with them and fellowship with them and interact with them and be salt and light, right? But I'm not talking about those people or they're greedy or swindlers or idolaters since they would have to need to get out of the world and they're in the world and you're trying to get them out. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if, I love that stop right there, don't eat with a brother, a person who claims to be a Christian, if he is guilty, not after he's repented. If he's still guilty of practicing sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reviling, being a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. Now, do you know who he's telling them not to eat with? Can I not eat with the people? Yes, go fellowship with them. You've got to be with them. Jesus was all the time. But if they claim to be in proper fellowship with God's people, knowing the truth, and yet they're actively engaging in these things non-repentantly, not trying to get out of them, they are flippantly, casually just saying, celebrating this lifestyle while saying they're Christians, you can't eat with them. Why? why purge the evil from among you we are not to judge the world god's going to do that we do however judge each other jeroboam was acting terrible and doing terrible things and this guy was not to give any indication whatsoever that's okay and there are some times when we do have to do this with one another It wouldn't be in Scripture if we didn't. So, that message is there for a reason, and by that way, that message is still there. It cannot be doubted what we said this morning that it takes courage and strength to take these words of God and commit to living them in a world that doesn't appreciate them. That's the secret for Joshua, it's the secret for every generation of believers. That's how we're to live. So be careful what you hear. Be very careful what you hear. Run it by the words of God that you know. And then decide whether you should actually do them or not. It's a discerning thing. And we as Christians are responsible for being discerning. That's the story of these two strange prophets who just fade into the background and play no further role in the history of Israel. But that's a good enough role for a warning for us. Let's be people, strong and courageous, trusting the words of God, regardless of how the world views it. If anyone needs to respond this evening, make it known as we stand and sing the invitation song.